Hello and welcome to the Friends Church Capay podcast. Glad you are with us. You found it. Uh, that I am excited about. We are a church located just uh, northwest of Chico, California, and it's a good place to be. A bunch of faithful Jesus followers here. We do our podcast just a little bit differently. It's not just a recording of the Sunday sermon, but I sit down and I re-record it for for you and wherever you are, whether you're driving in your car, you're working out, um, just lounging around in the house. Uh, glad you're listening, and I hope you are blessed by uh, this format of a podcast. Uh, we are starting our series called Anxious, and one of the things I recognize is that we live in a very anxious time. And, uh, and I believe that God wants to set us free from our anxiety. God does not want us to live in a perpetual state of anxiousness. He does not want us to be anxious people. Uh, but before we get going, I want to acknowledge that there are people that seek medical help um, for anxiety. That might be caused physiologically, uh, whether it be a chemical imbalance, whatever it is. Um, and I encourage you to keep continue seeking medical help. Um, that is a gift from the Lord. Um, but also, let us, uh, as we dive in here, let us be aware of our spiritual condition. Let us be aware of our heart. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about our minds. Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians, he says, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You know, that, that word futility of their thinking, meaning the meaninglessness of the things they think about. And I think a lot of times anxiety, it actually starts there. It has its roots in dwelling on things that ultimately are not our concern, right? Sometimes we, we can get so worked up about things that really ultimately don't matter. And we allow that to affect us to a point where we begin to suffer from anxiety. Um, you know, Paul, he goes on in, in Romans 12, 2, he says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul recognizes that, that part of our spiritual formation is this transformation of our mind as we follow Jesus. Um, that we shouldn't conform to the patterns of this world, but our mind should be transformed and shaped like Jesus. Dallas Willard, he writes in his book, Renovation of the Heart, about how we should, as, as people who follow Jesus, who are transformed by the blood of Jesus, that our thoughts actually become the same thoughts of Jesus. Right? That, that's, that's pretty awesome to think about, that as we are molded and shaped and transformed, that our thoughts actually um, become the thoughts of Jesus himself, or we have Jesus' thoughts. Um, and that, that is good news. That is, that is exciting. Um, but we have to also recognize that there are so many things that, that come in uh, that want to uh, mold us and shape us. If you are a parent, you know that there are certain uh, things that you don't allow your kids to partake in, right? Because either they're too young to grasp, they're too young to understand, and you as a parent, you understand the consequences of of what could come into their mind and how that would affect their thinking. See, how we think is so important. Our minds are so important 
because it's with our minds is how we also think about God. It's We use our minds to talk about God. And depending on what we allow to come into our minds, what we allow to mold us and shape us can really affect the way that we think and the way that we talk about God. Paul, he writes, going back to Ephesians um, 6.12, he writes, For the struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Right? What Paul knows is that there are these forces at work that seek to influence you, seek to influence your thinking. And our minds are so precious. They, they are so valuable because it's how we think about the Lord. You see, something happens when our minds um, become filled with maybe stuff that's just not supposed to be there. And there are real consequences to that. Like I think sometimes we, we spend a lot of time and a lot of energy focusing on our physical safety. Uh, I think a good example of this, I just think about the playgrounds that I got to play on as a kid and how much more fun they were than the playgrounds my kids get to play on. I mean, they were metal, they were big, they were tall, they were steep. I mean, they were awesome. But sometimes it seems like we live in a world that is very hypersensitive to especially physical safety. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Like our physical safety, that's important. Like I'm grateful for seatbelt laws. I'm grateful for innovation in in safety in cars and, and all of that. But so so often we spend so much time and energy and money um, focusing on our physical safety that we forget about our spiritual safety. We forget about the spiritual safety, and it turns out that our our spiritual safety actually has a dramatic effect on our physicality as well. Uh, and, and so we have to be aware of what happens to us uh, spiritually and physically when our minds are molded and shaped by things that maybe should have never been there from the beginning. It's almost like uh, if you've ever um, been nailing something in, then you nail, uh, you hit your your thumb with the hammer and the pain that that causes you. And, and, and it's going to be there for a while. It's going to be three or four days where your thumb is just throbbing and it doesn't matter what you're doing. You always go back to thinking about your thumb, right? You just always go back to thinking about how hurt your thumb is, whether you're taking a shower, whether you're eating your Cheerios or, or you're making the bed, whatever it might be, it might have nothing related to your thumb, but everything you do, your focus and your energy goes to the thumb. It goes to that place that hurts. And sometimes when we allow things to enter into us, when we allow things to shape us and form us, we don't realize how much they're hurting. And then what happens is we turn incredibly inward. When we are shaped and molded by things that should never be shaping and molding us, when we see things and take things in, they have a dramatic effect on our brains, on our minds. And what happens is we, as we become damaged by what we take in, what we see, the things that maybe even are said to us or happen to us, 
we become super focused on ourselves. It's like that thumb that everywhere we go, it just hurts. And we're just walking people of hurt. Today we're talking about how anxiousness enters in. Anxiousness is defined by experiencing worry, unease, or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Right? If you're a parent, you know uh, about uncertain outcomes. Right? As, as a parent, when you hold that child for the first time, I imagine that you probably have hopes and dreams for that child. At least I know I did. And then, then something happens as they get older. They, they, they have personalities. And, and you wonder why are they into the things that they're in. Like this, as a parent, this is one of the things I don't understand about my kids. So growing up as a kid, I remember being at a friend's house and playing video games. And there would always be, you always just couldn't wait your turn to play the game, right? You're, you're waiting to play the game. But for whatever reason, um, my kids will get on YouTube and sit and watch other people play Minecraft, Right? Isn't that just kind of that's just kind of weird, right? I remember just being so anxious wanting to play and my kids will just watch other people play a video game. I don't understand that. But right as a parent you have these hopes and dreams for your kids and then you, they form personalities and they're into their own things and and eventually you might realize that the hopes and dreams that you had for them might not become a reality. The outcome that you were hoping for isn't going to happen. Um, there's still hope that my son is going to be a big, strong, left-handed major league pitcher. I don't know. I'm praying about it. We'll see what happens. Um, but he's nine years old, so uh, so there, I still have hope. Or, or think of the the process of upbringing in our culture of growing up. You know, if you're like me, you probably went to elementary school and to junior high and to high school, and you were taught to get good grades, and then when you you want to get good grades in high school so you can go to college and, and go to a good college. And you want to get good grades in college so that you can graduate and get a good job that pays lots of money. And somewhere along the way that you're going to find that perfect spouse, you're going to get married. Then you have the 2.5 kids and then you go into debt and you buy a house and then you buy cars and you uh, work really hard. You you work and work and work and work. You raise kids and eventually you achieve 65 when you get to retire. And then you go and you get to live on a beach somewhere. You know, maybe that's not the outcome that you're hoping for. But but that that's an extreme. That, that, that's pretty general, right? Um, but anxiousness comes in when we realize, oh, that's not all going to happen the way I thought it was. Or maybe that's not the dream I should have had all along. What happens when our dreams become crushed? What happens when you're a millennial living in California, graduating college, and there's no way you can find a job that's going to pay for a house in California, right? Um, oftentimes, anxiety, it starts within us when we realize that our hopes and dreams um, become uncertain. And I want to look at a couple scriptures where uncertainty creeps in. And the first is in Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? We're just going to pause right there. 
So the serpent creates this uneasiness with a question to plant in the mind of the woman, right? The serpent creates the possibility of an uncertain outcome, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The serpent wants Eve to question what she has believed, what she knows to be true, and to create uncertainty. Let's go back to Genesis 2, 15 and see what... I want us to notice how, how precise God is. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you will not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. See, God is incredibly direct about the outcome. God is incredibly direct about what is going to happen if you disobey. You will certainly die. And the, the very way that Satan wants to attack us is one, he wants to create that uncertainty. Wants to create that uncertainty. Now, you might be thinking, but, but Andy, um, God is speaking to Adam there. God was not speaking to Eve. And so is it possible that, that Eve might not know? In the rabbinic tradition, they, they were wondering about where was Adam when Eve is being tempted. And when we read uh, Ephesians, actually, when he's talking about um, you know, women speaking, uh, he references back uh, to Adam and Eve. And the rabbinic tradition would ask that question, where is Adam in all of this? And they would say he's actually right there with the woman, but he is silent. It's not that Adam is far off and that he has no idea what's going on, but actually Adam is right there and he is silent. And I think this is when anxiety begins to creep in, right? Sometimes we have different ways of dealing with anxiety or we have different ways of dealing with the things that lead to anxiety. When that uncertainty is created, when uncertainty is created in our lives, Sometimes we just remain silent and we don't do anything. We don't proclaim what is good and what is true. And maybe we're like Eve where we are really led to deeply think about, is this really true? How can we know what is actually true? How can we know what is actually real? How can we know what is actually going on? Right? Isn't that the place where we live in in our culture? How do we know what is actually going on? We really struggle with that, and that creates a lot of anxiety when you turn on the news, and depending on what news, it's, you watch two different news stations, and they're not talking about anything the same. They're on two different wavelengths, and you're trying to discern what is actually true. Hence, it creates anxiety, right? When we struggle to know what is real. Skip forward in your Bibles to Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing, and bring them to me. 
So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Moses, he's up on the mountain. He's taken the people. He's led them out of Egypt through the Red Sea. And here they are at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses, he goes up to meet with the Lord. And the people are there at the the foot of the mountain. And Moses has been gone for a long time. And they're wondering, where is he? Right? There's this uneasiness. There's this uncertainty. Here we are. We have been taken out of Egypt where we might have been slaves, but we were kind of comfortable. We knew what to expect. There was no uncertainty about what tomorrow was going to bring. And here this Moses fellow leads us out of there through the Red Sea, puts us out at the foot of this mountain where we're incredibly vulnerable, where we don't know what is next. You sense the uncertainty in this scene, don't you? And so what do they do? They make for themselves an idol. But what's so fascinating about this idol is that they attribute their saving, their exodus out of Egypt to this idol. You know, some when we become anxious, I think this is a reality, is that we don't know we get distracted, we're unable to see about where the blessings actually come from. When we are filled with anxiety, when we don't know what is coming next, sometimes we are left to our own devices and that we will try to take control of the situation ourselves. And when we take control of the situation ourselves, we're unable to rightly point to who's the one who has control. So how do we as the people of God live free from anxiety? How do we as the people of God combat those points in our lives where we feel incredibly anxious because there is uncertainty? We don't know what's on the other side. We don't know what's to come. We don't know what's going to happen next. We're unsure if we are going to be okay. I think one of the ways that we can take courage is we can look into scripture. And I want us to look at Psalm 23. Because Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that if you've ever been to a funeral, it was probably quoted at some point. And I think sometimes we think about this as the funeral psalm, but what happened what if we applied this psalm not in death but in life what if we live the psalm 23 life right here in the present what if psalm 23 was a present reality for us and so we're going to take this verse by verse the next few weeks actually and so i just want us to look at verse 1 of psalm 23 the lord is my shepherd and i lack nothing The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. There are three types of psalms in Scripture. There are the psalms of orientation. Um, Those are the psalms when everything is right in the world, when 
everything is going well. When, when we can look at and we can say, praise God, look how great everything is. Then there are the Psalms of disorientation. Those are the Psalms when everything is going wrong and we're crying out to God, God, how can you let this happen? Uh, there's one Psalm that talks about smashing the enemy's babies upon rocks. That's a Psalm of disorientation, so angry, so upset about their condition. And then there's the Psalms of reorientation. Those are the Psalms where God is taking us out of that season of disorientation and moving us into a new reality, a new truth. And I think this might be one of those Psalms of reorientation where we're realizing that God has brought me out of this and is bringing me to something new. So the psalmist writes, The Lord is my shepherd, and I lack nothing. In the Psalms and elsewhere in Scripture, it talks a lot about shepherds and, and the imagery of as the Lord is our shepherd. Uh, shepherds were in charge of keeping sheep, and it wasn't a very glamorous job. But if you think of the role of the shepherd, the role of the shepherd is to take care of the sheep, ensure their survival, and help them to find green pastures and water, which is actually the next verse here. Um, but that's the role of the shepherd, right? To keep the sheep safe. What happens in our minds when we don't have that view, when we don't have that image of God, that God's desire for us, that he is the shepherd and that he, his desire is to take care of us. His desire is to provide for us. His desire is to ensure your well-being. Right? Sometimes I, I, sometimes I don't think we have this view of God that, that he actually cares for us, that he actually loves us, that he actually wants what's best for us. Maybe one of the ways that, that God has been distorted in our mind, creating this anxiety, is that we are just here all alone, here to suffer. That God is somewhere else, that God is absent. Or that God creates all these rules and he's just holding us back from living the fun life, the good life. But what the psalmist understands is that the Lord is my shepherd. This is the God who leads us. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us to still waters because he cares for us. And what the psalmist understands is that with the Lord, I lack nothing. I lack nothing which is quite the contrast from what the serpent tempts Eve. Eve is tempted to believe that she is somehow incomplete, that God did not really finish his good work with her, that there is more for her to achieve, there is more for her to go and get. Or the people at the foot of the mountain, they are led to believe in their anxiety that we are left here to suffer and die. Where the psalmist, he writes, I lack nothing. In other words, I'm in the care of someone else. I'm not in charge. I've taken my kingdom and surrendered it to the kingdom of God. 
I am living the with God life. The Lord is my shepherd and whatever follows from that. See, anxiety starts with the question, am I actually going to be okay? Then it festers itself when we discover our lack of control. Isn't that true, right? When, when we have anxiety, what really makes us anxious is when we discover how little control we actually have. So what does it look like when we walk in the truth that the Lord is our shepherd and that we don't lack anything? What is what is that path? What does that walk look like? And I just want to offer up a few ideas here. Uh, the first is this, is that when we walk in the truth that the Lord is our shepherd and that he is taking care of us and that we lack nothing, we have a firm grasp on what we are redeemed from. Right, We have this firm grasp on reality of what God has saved us from. I think that's one of the powerful things about testimony in the church is when somebody is able to stand up and they're able to say, the Lord has set me free. He has delivered me from alcohol. He has delivered me from sex addiction. He has delivered me See, when we understand what the Lord has delivered us from, and when the people are at the foot of the mountain and and then they attribute the golden calf to getting them out of Egypt, they have forgotten what they have been saved from. They have forgotten about their, their slavery. They have forgotten about their pain and their suffering. They have forgotten what this God, the God who delivered them through the Red Sea and and created them a new people on the other side. They forgot what they were saved from. When we forget what we are saved from, we we live an anxious life. We live a life of anxiety. Second truth is that when the Lord is our shepherd and we realize that we lack nothing, that that's a reality for us, is that we have a relentless hope in the blood of Jesus. When we realize that the Lord is our shepherd and that we lack nothing, we have this relentless hope in the blood of Jesus. And that hope is, is not that just we, we, we know what we have been restored and redeemed from. We know what the Lord has delivered us from. But we have this hope for all of humanity that God is going to redeem and restore and reconcile all of creation to himself. That all of creation will eventually lack Nothing, because the Lord is their Savior. See, when the Good Shepherd, and when we lack nothing, we we have this relentless hope that God is going to reconcile this world. But anxiety often takes us to the other place, doesn't it? Anxiety tells us that everything is going to be destroyed. All of this is meaningless. All of this is pointless. I'm just here to suffer and die. The third, when our hope is in the good shepherd and we realize that we lack nothing because of who God is, we know who gets the victory in the end. See, anxiety at its core causes us to forget who is going to get the victory. 
When we are in the heat of battle, when we are filled with worry, it's like we put ourselves, our hearts, into a small room trapped with our worst fears. But the reality is there is a much larger work happening. In the midst of our worry, in the midst of our uneasiness, in the midst of our unknowing, we have this hope that, and this knowledge that the Lord is going to get the victory in the end. And that is good news, friends. And that is the truth and that is the reality that we walk in. And that is my hope and my prayer for you. It is my hope and my prayer for you that as you find yourself in the uneasiness of life, when you find yourself in those situations where the outcome is very blurry, that it seems very dark, that it seems like nothing good can come from this, may you know that the good shepherd is in charge and that when you are with him, you lack nothing. I want to close with this thought. And it's a quote by the astronomer Carl Sagan. And you might be familiar with this quote. And there was this famous picture taken by Voyager 1 in 1990 from 4 billion miles away from the Earth. And if you've seen this picture, it's, it's the Earth suspended in a, in a sunbeam and there's an arrow pointing to the Earth. And uh, it's, it's pretty tough to see. And then Carl Sagan, the astronomer, he, he writes this. He says, Look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who, who ever was lived out their lives there. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter, every forger, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a moat of dust suspended in the sunbeam. When I see that picture, when I think about that quote, I think about how much more meaning Jesus has. The fact that the creator of this vast universe that is so big and so wide that we can't really even comprehend its size. That when we look at ourselves from four billion miles away, we see our smallness in the vastness of the universe. And yet, the God who created all of this enters into this world, walks the dusty road alongside of us, suffers alongside of us, even this small creation on a, on a, on a speck of dust in the sunlight. God comes to the speck of dust and he gives his life. He sheds his blood. He gets up off his throne. He takes off his robe and he sits in the ashes of the brokenness of humanity. He does this because he loves you. He cares for you. And because he is the good shepherd. The shepherd would give his life for you. And so when you are faced with the uncertainty, when you realize how big the universe is, 
may you realize that the Good Shepherd has entered into this world and given his life for you because you are worth it. So dear friends, may you be set free from worry and anxiety and the fear of unknowing of what's coming next because the God of all creation enters into this life to redeem it, restore it, and reclaim it because with him we lack nothing.